Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Tom Kim and Trevor Mountcastle. This episode, we talk many things Malaysia and more specifically, Lingkawi. Tom, how are you? It's so wonderful to be back here recording a show today. Greetings from New York City, or shall I say New York, New York in Las Vegas. The New York hotel that doesn't really look like a New York hotel, or at least that's what your background looks like to me. That's about for our right. listeners at home. <laughs> <laughs> Newly remodeled, but yes, I don't know if the urban chic hotel room is going to age very well, as we were discussing previously. Yeah, yeah. So we're a little late in talking about this, but I thought it'd be interesting to kind of walk through this uh, Langkawi trip for a couple of reasons. Yeah, this is my first time actually hearing about it. I've, I've been kind of waiting for months to kind of get the details of this trip that I think we talked a little bit about previously, but you know, I was kind of curious how it all panned out. Well, we wanted to try to keep it more enjoyable for the fans. You know, it's not just kind of rehashing a private conversation or an offline conversation, I should say. And instead, you're hearing it for the first time. I thought that'd be kind of a cool experience. We did that with your Australia trip too, I think. You know, the interesting thing is with these podcasts, I mean, these are genuine conversations that you and I have and it's fun. You know, it's exciting to hear, get the details on all the different experiences people have had. Absolutely. So this trip, we actually went at the end of October it was my daughter's last trip as a lap infant, which made it really interesting because the way home was a lot harder to do because we had to find that third seat all the way from Asia. Going out with a bang, huh? The last possible opportunity. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, literally, we had a couple of short regionals before she turned two and then it was uh, just a couple of regionals and then the flight home. But going out with a bang, we started out with Etihad first, which I thought was... I thought that was going to be more exciting than it ended up being, you know, not to bury the lead there. But I found the check-in to be interesting. And if there's one thing I've learned with a lap infant, every single check-in has some other random problem. And I don't quite understand why. It's as if there has never been a baby, a lap infant that has ever traveled before. And we are <laughs> trailblazers. Now, in, in all fairness... You know, our daughter traveled almost 100,000 miles last year. So so maybe there's a little bit of truth to us being a little bit more unique compared to others. But it, You have it, more it data points than the me. average person, I think. I think you just have more data points than the average person. Yeah. And to be honest with you, if I was just the average person and I had like, you know, the amount of issues that I've had, like where it's almost every check-in, there's some sort of problem. I can understand why people wouldn't be traveling. <laughs> My problem is I'm always in line behind all those people who have those problems. So that's been my problem is like I'm always about checking in. The people in front of me are always the ones that are like have the lap infant or they have some, you know, they're foreign people and they need, you know, some sort of additional documentation that they don't have. And it's always whether it be the car rental agency, the check-in line at the airport, wherever it is. Lately, that's been my problem. And then when it gets to me, I'm like, okay, sir, thank you. Go ahead. Go, you know, 30 seconds later, I'm, I'm away. <laughs> so I think the key is, you know, if you see me in line, go behind me, you know, you'll feel much better. <laughs> Good to know. And we do try to let you go and f go first when we travel. <laughs> but yeah, check in. So I booked this Etihad first via Aeroplan back when Aeroplan was working with Etihad ages, ages ago. This is probably the longest flight out that I, maybe the second longest flight out that I've ever booked. So, partnership with Aeroplan and 
I don't think the partnership ended, but there's something going on. Okay. Like, that's probably a conversation for another episode because I don't, I would want to do the research to know exactly what's going on. But I mean, you know, they've had to cancel Aeroplan awards on Etihad. In some mm. cases, you're not seeing premium cabins available anymore. God, it's just, they're just not as well integrated as maybe they were in the past. Yeah. And I think that might have been part of the reason that we had a little bit of a challenge where our daughter's boarding pass didn't print the full name, ah. just the first initial. And so the Etihad person's like, yeah, you're not going to get through TSA with that. And so, you know, I tried calling Aeroplan, I'm on hold and all this other stuff. And finally I said, you know what, let's just go to, let's just go to clear. And, uh, you know, the TSA person doesn't really look at the boarding passes because clear does all that work for them. And so we did that and we were through with no problem. I mean, it was a lot of oh. stress for no reason at all. So we rolled right through to uh, Air France Lounge. I've never seen that Air France Lounge as full as it was for that night flight. I just couldn't believe it. We were in the basement and we were barely able to get seats there. That's a shame. I loved the Etihad Lounge when they were at Dulles. You know, I remember, uh, you know, we were there together at least one trip. And I'd lament the fact that it is no more. It's funny. Like, it feels like Etihad Lounges in general are an endangered species outside of Abu Dhabi. Maybe it's a good move. I mean, they don't seem to be doing as well as some of the other Middle Eastern airlines. And they've just done cutback after cutback after cutback. I mean, they used to give pajamas in, in business class. They stopped doing that, I don't know, 2018 or so. Even in first class, the service just is not terribly amazing. And maybe we should jump to that, the onboard flight sure, experience. Let's talk about the flight. So the seat is nice. I'm one of those people that like being able to face backwards. So I had gotten the backward facing seat. The cabin's only, I think, eight seats on the 7879. You know, I thought the seat was perfectly comfortable. The blankets are wonderful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think, though, that's the other aspects of the flight, though, were not terribly amazing. I mean, the food was good, not great. In fact, the steak sandwich, I think, was better than the main steak entree. Oh, that's not, that's probably not good. Time. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, small little things like that. I mean, if you, you may remember before the pandemic, they actually had an onboard chef. There is no onboard chef anymore. And, you know, just other little areas where they definitely have cut back. The Well, even when they had the onboard chef, I always felt like, you know, I didn't have necessarily bad experiences in, at the odd first, but... None of their food was particularly memorable. Unlike, you know, I know I can off the top of my head think of a couple of different like Cathay or Qantas or even British kind of flights where there'd been some interesting dishes that, that they served and or Jal for that matter. But it's hard to think of anything memorable from Etihad, at least for remarkable, I should say, anything you can remember for it being good. You know? you know, it's funny you say that. The thing I remember most is walking through the Ford galley back when they had a chef and he was like grilling up the steak sandwich, the making, mm -hmm. you know, the mm -hmm. meat of the steak sandwich. It looked cool, but like the quality of the meat just wasn't there and it ended up being really tough. Yeah, exactly. I guess I just like the memory of seeing how they were actually doing some level of cooking, you know, on the plane seemed mm -hmm. more memorable to me than, you know, the quality of the food or anything else. The actual food yeah. product. Yeah. Yeah. So, but overall the flight was nice, just not terribly incredible. I mean- it's hard to say that about, you know, it was probably 100, 110,000 points for the redemption, you know, for first class experience. I mean, I think we had a little bit more attention than business class, but not really notably more. 
That's surprising. You know, usually, you know, Etihad, especially, you know, our, you know, we've done 787 Etihad together, in fact. Oh, yeah. And I probably did it once or twice outside of that. And there is something about, I almost feel like my sense was that Etihad, at least on, the, on their 787s, delivered a better service product just because, than let's say apartments, just because that whole one aisle thing made it really tough for, for you to service essentially, I guess, the same number of passengers, but, you know, taking that much longer to get back to the galley and get back and forth to the seat, you know, it made things very problematic where at least with a twin aisle kind of aircraft, you know, they were generally, you know, able to get to you and get back, you know, pretty quick and not get stopped up by people sitting in the highway. Or you know, whatever. I actually disagree completely with that. I thought really? the service, and it's been a while since I've been on the apartments. It probably was 2018 or 2017. Well, it's definitely pre-pandemic. Yeah. I haven't been since then. Yeah, but, but the apartments I felt like were always fantastic from a service perspective. Not However, I always found it to be, you needed to be assertive because there's just too much going on between people taking showers and wanting, you know, meals right before they're about to land. And especially in that last two hour period of time, it's hard to get somebody to remember to do what you need, you've requested them well, to do. Well, let me ask you- Because they've got like 10 other people doing the same thing. Let me thing. ask you this question. Was the residence filled or not? I don't recall, actually. I don't remember. I think the answer is no, because the butler, I think, was assisting with, with yeah. service. Even then, it was bad. I just remember them just forgetting stuff and not coming to me to refill my glass or whatever with a, for extended periods of time and thinking, wow, this is crazy. Why is it so hard to do basic things? Yeah. I don't know. The butler was amazing and the residence was not filled for us. And the butler, I mean, I literally got double the share of water. For the shower, for example, they just really took great care of us. But that was pre-pandemic and that was definitely not on this Dulles to Abu Dhabi flight. That actually was our last first class experience that we may have on Etihad, quite simply. I mean, we'll do it. They're if, getting rid uh, of it, right? They're, it's no longer on the schedule, right? It's, it's been downgraded to business for Dulles to Abu Dhabi now? Yeah, I just don't know when that starts. Okay. I think later in the year. But yeah, right? I mean, that tells you a lot. I mean, that I feel probably. like really tells you a lot about the direction Etihad's going. So we landed at what I like to call the Tatooine terminal, which is Terminal One. It, the old yeah, they, it, it's got that like kind of Tatooine hut look. The domes, right? Isn't it? Isn't it the domes or something that makes it look like Tatooine? Yeah, they kind of look like huts, I think. But okay, huts, domes. Yeah, yeah. And we were able to just you know, it's a quick walk to T three where they actually do have that first class lounge. That was the first time that I've been in the new first class lounge, and was pretty happy with it. Uh, was pretty happy with the you know the folks serving. The food was good. We were there for probably a good four or five hours just because of the time. That's a nice amount of time. That's probably enough to actually get a feel for the lounge. It was. We had enough time to shower. We had enough time to have a nice sit-down meal, pretty reasonable alcohol offering, champagne, et cetera. I don't have a photo of what the bottle was, but I do remember trying both the rosé and the uh, Blanc. And they had a nice children's play area in the first class lounge too that our daughter enjoyed. So, you know, all in all, I would say wonderful lounge. I wouldn't say great. I mean, it's not the Lufthansa first class terminal. It's- Drink. Wait, or did we retire that? That was retired <laughs> at the end of last year. <laughs> <laughs> that was retired in 2023. Yeah, but I'd put it you know, kind of on par with Emirates first class lounge. Maybe the food wasn't as good as the Emirates first class lounge, but you know, plenty of nice space. Didn't feel like we were on top of other people or any of that stuff. So I thought that was very good. And then we had our business class flight, Abu Dhabi to Kuala Lumpur. We pretty much went in with low expectations and uh, <laughs> come to find that they give our daughter this this Warner Brothers, you know, Looney Tunes sort of amenity kit. 
we didn't get anything for her on the first class flight, but on the business class flight, she gets something. <laughs> so we were sort of. But it's pretty cool that they've got a kid's amenity kit. That might be one of the first times I'm hearing about it's an actual amenity kit, not just like a doll or a, a toy or some other activity book or something for, for the kids, right? It had a blanket. It had a nice little bag. I don't see it right within arm's reach right now, but I think it might have had like a toothbrush or something else too. So, I, I mean, I call it more amenity than than just, you know, a stuffed animal. Air France did something like that too. You're talking about kind of having like lowered expectations for Etihad though. It's probably a pretty apt or wise thing to do at this point, just because, you know, Etihad is still a little bit of a shadow of their former selves. And I think, you know, you, you should probably kind of caveat you know, if you're planning on a trip with them, you know, there there might be some tarnish or not all the polish may be sparkling on every aspect of their service. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, you mentioned the child amenity kit being a surprise to you. They used to actually have flight attendants in the economy cabin that were like nannies that could do some things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I assume that that's no longer the case. But I mean, Etihad used to be a whole lot more Emirates like I'll say and now they're you know they're 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 approaching I don't know uh, Ryanair like maybe not maybe that's a little bit <laughs> extreme well that might be a little bit that might be a little severe but you know I think for years it felt like they were operating as a money is no object um, business plan yeah you know between investing in all the like worst airlines in Europe you know like Alitalia and Air Serbia and like all these kind of like, you know, I guess basket case airlines to try to, you know, create some sort of an alliance. You know, they were just lighting money on fire, I think it seemed like. And for us as a customer, that was great. You know, I think, you know, it showed in kind of the in-flight service and the dining. And I have to, again, I kind of have nostalgia for the Etihad of 10 years ago, you know, when I first flew them, where it was just amazing. It was amazing. It was my first time on a Middle East, they were my first, I think, first Middle East carrier that I ever flew first class on. And it was my first time flying them was just stellar. You know, everything about it was amazing. And now that I hear about with you and like, you know, just some of the other more recent data points and just even my own experiences in the last few years, it just does seem like they continue to kind of on this downward trajectory and hopefully they can turn it back around. But I mean, unfortunately for now, it's, it's always going to, it's going to be a little bit less, you know, sparkly, shiny, and new and good as maybe, you know, they were in the past. Yeah. And I do wonder if that new midfield terminal is going to help them with a resurgence now that it's open. But yeah, overall, low expectations. So low. You can get fact. a good look at that terminal if you ever watch uh, Mission Impossible with Dead Reckoning, right? Oh, That's yeah. like about 30 minutes of that movie is in that terminal. Yeah. That was a cool set of scenes, I thought, in Mission Impossible. It really made me hope that we were going to get to go through that new terminal because it did open on the way back, which I'll talk about, you know, a little later. Okay, cool. Well, tell me about uh, Kuala Lumpur, our, our good old KL, as some like to say. Yeah, yeah. So landing, we had to do a remote gate. Their aerotrain had some sort of problem earlier this year or last year, and it's supposed to be kibbutz for three years. So a lot of- Sounds like O'Hare. Did they buy the same train system that O'Hare has? <laughs> I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. We returned back to the Grand Hyatt in Kuala Lumpur. It's over about a five, 10 minute walk from the Petronas Towers. We had almost the same suite that we had, I don't know, our first time in Kuala Lumpur, which was probably like uh, five to eight years ago. The hotel seems very much the same. Lounge was nice. Room was very comfortable. We actually extended our stay. We were originally going to do two nights 
And then we were going to hop down to Singapore for a night, as we talked about on the travel banter episode, and then go to Linkawi. We ended up saying, let's just you know hang out here for the full three nights. And it ended up just being a whole lot more comfortable. We were able to swim every day. The pool was nice. Our daughter loved that. I mean, I think we swam every single day of that trip. Was that a game time decision? Is that you just kind of said, eh, I don't feel like transiting Singapore on my way back to Malaysia to go to Malaysia? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ended up losing some flight credit on doing it, but we were just, we were at that point where we were just exhausted still because we had done a lot of travel for pretty much from August and this was that last trip. And so we just sort of said, hey, this is, let's let this be a relaxing trip, which is 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 what we needed anyway. So instead we got to go to- Sounds like the right call. Yeah. I think so. We got some Din Tai Fung. Of course, being a Muslim country, there was no pork. So now I've had Din Tai Fung in two different countries without pork. Wow. <laughs> what's, what's the next one? Would that, would that be like Indonesia maybe or something or? Well, I do wonder actually. Do they have Din Tai Fung? Do they have Din Tai Fung and do they prohibit pork is a good question. <laughs> Going to have to go back and research that one. And then uh, really the only other thing other than kind of walking around the malls in, um, there's a mall over in, uh, under the Petronas Tower, was an aquarium under the conference convention center. And we thought that was fun. They had this kind of, we haven't been doing aquariums yet. This was our first with our daughter. So it was new for us. And they had this one little area where you were on this kind of moving walkway through a tube where you were essentially, well, the aquarium was on three sides, right? So you got to see fish, you know, swimming over you, swimming. Got it. You were surrounded by the large tank. Exactly. We enjoyed that. Our daughter was just so excited to see the manta rays and some of the other fish. But other than that, we didn't do a ton in Kuala Lumpur. Well, you know, I want to circle back and just say, you know, uh, I don't hardly go to the mall very much here in the US, but you know, malls in Asia are not to be missed in a way. And not really for the shopping for me. You know, for me, it's a combination of two things. Number one, I kind of like going to a supermarket when I'm in another country, believe it or not. Most malls in Asia have some kind of a supermarket you can go in. I think it's just a great place to buy, you know, like some candies and some other snacks and things that, you know, are great souvenirs, right? To, or to, stuff to bring back for people. And then it's also just interesting to see what they have to offer. And then in addition, you know, their food courts are not, you know, it's not Panda Express and, you know, Auntie Annie's and, you know, the cheese steak place. It's usually some of their best street food purveyors. And it's, it's someplace where you can actually get a very decent, authentic meal with many different examples of the food and culture of the country you're in. That's so true. So, that so I would just, you know, for our listeners, you know, if don't overlook them all, I would say when you're in a big Asian metropolis kind of place, because I think it's... It might at least be worth an afternoon or lunch kind of, of stroll. It's, and it also can beat the heat too because, you know, some of those places can be pretty hot. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the food, you know, and the smells of all the different food is always something that we enjoy. And most malls, like you said, have AC and most of them are over a metro or mass transit, which helps as well. Back to the Trevor, Trevor chair. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a lot of talking when one of us does a trip, you know, like this. So, Langkawi, we did quick hop on Malaysian Airlines. Interestingly, in their lounge, they didn't have any alcohol. I don't know if it was because it was a morning flight, but they did do custom, you know, made-to-order fried rice. So, something nice and in, in the lounge. Makes me hungry. I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> so, Langkawi's airport does not have jetways. It's just, um, you know, air stairs. 
just like what you'd probably oh. expect for a smaller. It's like an outdoor airport, essentially. They do have some indoor areas. Like the gate areas are indoor. They just don't have jetways. No jet bridges. No jet bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out really well. We had to check our bags, unfortunately, on that flight. I don't think we paid because of my uh, exact plot status, but it did take a while for the bags to make it through. That's the worst. I always hate having to wait for bags. I'm always, not always, but you know, unfortunately too often, it's like my bag's like the last one off. And that's what it feels like every time I check a bag, which is why I don't like to check a bag. We started out at the St. Regis, Lincoln. This hotel is known for amazing rooms and it did not disappoint despite not having one of the dedicated pool rooms where like you have your own pool. The room was great. They upgraded us to a St. Regis suite. I think that's when the, the property started going a little bit downhill. A beautiful, beautiful property, but the pool itself, the you know, for everybody else is not very big. And for some reason, and I didn't do the research, all the pools that we saw in Lankawi were all built up. So I don't know if the bedrock is really strong there or the volcanic rock, but essentially instead of, you know how like you build in-ground pools? Most of these pools, you had to go upstairs, up steps to be able to get into the pool. Oh, I mean, they were all above ground. Yeah. Like they weren't they weren't dug into the ground. Okay, yeah. got I it. I mean, they were you got know it. permanent, obviously. They were just not sunk. Right, right. You know, they weren't sunk down into the ground, yeah. which I thought was an interesting thing. I assume it's got to do something with the type of- The uh, kind of soil. Soil or stone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the beach was pretty weird. Was it? Okay. So it's right on a sea lane. So you've got boat traffic going back and forth, which for me wasn't very oh. relaxing. And it really reminded me of the Grand Hyatt Bali from a beach perspective because like the tide really goes out to the point where, I oh, mean, okay. you know, it probably goes out a couple hundred feet. I was talking to somebody about it. There's like almost a rug feeling of that beach area. Like it's almost as if like right. where the water was there was like a rug, you know, underneath it that they just kind of piled the sand on. I don't really quite understand it. It just felt like a really different feel. I mean, it's a good point because if you're really a beach person, you know, you do have to do a little bit of research because, you know, I would say I would agree with you in places like Bali and actually lots of Southeast Asia for that matter. They're nice beaches and don't get me wrong, you could probably still enjoy it and have a great time. But if you're looking for that prototypical tropical white sand relaxing beach with a palm tree, that's not always what you're going to get right at every resort. So true. To finish up St. Regis, breakfast was wonderful. We ended up eating dinner at the restaurant. That was really good as well. And the traditional St. Regis sabering, they sabered Tattinger, which was wonderful. And they actually ended up bringing out to make sure everybody had a full glass versus just you know, you know trying to, to do just a taste, which some other properties do. But we were only there for one yeah, night. I, and you know, overall, oh, okay. overall, I think it was a well-used Marriott cert. Well-used Marriott cert, decent. But not the best pool, not the best beach is what I heard. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the best way to characterize it. I think this next thing is what I'm really looking forward to because, you know, I think you splurged a little bit, didn't you? You're staying at the Four Seasons, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. And this is where we caught up with our friend, mutual friend, Jeff and his family. Jeff was on, uh, I think it was episode eight, the Epic Guys Trip. And so they had wanted to stay at the Four Seasons and we were sort of like, well, we really wanted to stay someplace with miles and points, but we finally gave in, hooked it through Michael Traeger, who we had on a previous episode over at Travels Work. And even though it was a splurge, I think I would probably consider doing it again. It was more money than oh, I- Oh, great. Oh, okay. It was more than I wanted to spend, 
you know, more than you want to spend in a, in that type of an environment, but it was definitely worth it. I think though, that it was probably more worth it because Jeff and his family had gotten an upgrade. And so they had like this beachfront two bedroom villa with a uh, pool and stuff. And so like, I think we had dinner at their villa one night outside, you know, swim, able to swim, able to just, you know, wander right down to the beach for photos. And then I think we probably spent more time at their room than we spent in ours, other than sleeping. <laughs> just just because it was... Sounds like you spent the weekend at a friend's beach villa. It really kind of felt like that. But the breakfast was nice. I think it was, you know, very good. I don't know that I'd say it was the best I've ever had, you know, from a breakfast perspective. They did do a manager's reception the first night we were there, which was nice. You, you know, get the chance to chat with the staff, get a few drinks. We did do the spa. Spa was very affordable and was probably one of the best massages I've had. I know you're not a massage fan, but for some of our listeners that might like that, that was a very nice experience. And then they did have a kids club. Probably the only thing I would say about the property is that they're going through this massive renovation. They kind of break up the property with an adult side and a kid side, which I think is helpful, right? They do have an adult-only pool, and then they have the family pool. But the adult side, we walked up along the uh, adult side, and some of those villas were having you know roofs replaced. I mean, there was heavy, heavy, heavy renovation going on, and they were moving their way to the family side. So for the next year or two, it might not be the greatest experience, but I think that also could be why the rates are among the lowest for Four Seasons. I think we paid. It's interesting because you know it seems like with these like resorts and some of these five star type establishments, some of them obviously choose to close the whole place down for a year or two, right? And then some of them do this kind of incremental renovation. I wonder how they decide that, you know, because in a way it sounds like it degrades from the customer experience, and they have to like lower prices anyway, uh, in order to kind of offset the disruption. And on the flip side, you know, you're, you have no money coming in for like a whole year or, or, or possibly more while they do these kind of multi-year, multi-million dollar renovations. So it's interesting because you hear a, a, quite a few of these five-star places that do close down for a good year or two and just kind of just gut the place and start over, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the Southampton Princess in Bermuda is going through one of those multi-year renovations right now. I feel like the Park Hyatt in Toronto, the one in Chicago, you know, they're both... I think off of their multi-year renovations, right? Yeah, I think Robert was and, talking about uh, that Park Hyatt Chicago at some point in the last maybe year or so. Yep. Yeah, but Park Hyatt Tokyo is about to go into one, right? I think so. It, well, it probably needs it. I mean, it's been a while. Yep. But you know, all that said, it was still a wonderful, wonderful property, a wonderful stay. They have a handful of different activities that you can do. One was Jalan Jalan Nature Walk with a naturist. This naturist, I didn't get his name, but he was fantastic. He had been at that property. He was British educated. So, you know, he was older before the, I guess, the independence or the turnover. And I think he had worked meteorology with the air traffic controller, the FAA equivalent prior to becoming, uh, prior to retiring. And then his retirement job was being this naturist or naturist or naturalist. I don't know what the right term is, but he kind of walked us through the property, you know, pointing out different vegetation, different plants, sort of the background for different things. Even talked about the ant migration as we saw like what felt like a million ants moving to higher ground. He talked about how 
there's been just an interesting change where Lankawi is an island. There's two different climates almost with the rain where one side will rain, one side won't. And it didn't sound like it was a windward leeward side. It was the, what's the, is it longitude? Is longitude the north south or that goes east west? So like higher longitudes or is it higher latitudes? Higher elevations, maybe. No, 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 no. Like latitude, longitude, right? Like, so like Lankawi, because of the way the island is, some of it is, it's kind of like the difference between Florida and maybe not Florida and New York, but like there's enough of a difference, not because it's so huge, but just, I guess it's placement, you know, that the climate can sometimes be a little bit different where- Maybe maybe the bottom of the island is subject to one kind of current and the top of the island is subject to some yeah, other might, kind of current. It, it might be that. But he, uh, it was interesting him sharing that. Just, you know, some of the level of detail that he kind of went into, right down to, you know, how they really tried to not use pesticides. You know, you see this big ant thing, you just pour searing hot water into it rather than having to use pesticides to kill ants in an area you didn't want. Natural measures instead of chemical ones. Yeah, yeah. But it was really interesting because they were literally doing genetic testing on some of these plants. They have uh, some plants that literally are symbiotic where they'll grow on, maybe it's parasitic, I don't know. I I don't think the other one, the the host plant dies, but like where plants will kind of grow off of. Right. Yeah. It's the- It's probably symbiotic. Is it the banyan tree that does that? It was one of those. I should have taken notes. We were Ooh. really on vacation, so so you know we were taking it all in, but I wasn't getting, <laughs> I wasn't getting detailed Don't enough notes. At the end. Yeah, unfortunately, that. Uh, so I'm failing you guys there. But we also went to the night market. That and uh, an off-property massage were the only other things we really did in Lincoln. And the night market was wonderful. Uh, other than you know the heat, which you expect, I had some great food. Mm-hmm. Really interesting to be able to just you know people watch and kind of see all the different things on sale. And I mean, you could get a bag of chicken, like chicken nuggets, right? Effectively for one ringgit. And it was like, wow, that's after you pay like 160. That's a couple cents, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. You pay like 160 ringgit for the same thing at the uh, hotel and you, you go to the night market, you get it for like one. Well, you are comparing the four seasons to, you know, a night market in Southeast Asia. This is, there's, <laughs> there's a little bit of a, a delta there. You know, I'm kind of curious. So how, how was the beach? Was it more that prototypical you know, tropical white sand, you know, palm tree experience, basically watching blue waters of the Andaman Sea. Is that, is that essentially what you had there? It was absolutely fantastic. You know, where we talked about the St. Regis beach was really meh. The Four Seasons beach was about as perfect as you can get. You had uh, a Malaysian island a little bit distance away, close enough. Somebody of my physical in shapeness or out of shapeness could kayak too. And then further back behind, you could see Thailand. There was a Thai island, not the mainland. So it's not just this you know wide open sea that you can't see anything. You've got a little bit of depth to it. And the, the sand was wonderful. The beach was huge. I mean, it had to have been the property was you know fairly along the beach. I'd say it was two, two and a half miles long. So if you wanted to get a nice walk, you could. There were no touts. There were no, it really felt like you had the beach to yourself. Awesome. Sounds, sounds wonderful. What did Jeff think about it? Because I know he, this part of the world is an area where he's been a couple of times. How did he rank it compared to some of the other uh, resorts he's frequented in, in the Lankawi area? I don't want to put words in his mouth. He seemed to enjoy it. You know, I think he has, so they've been to more Four Seasons 
And I think he has some particular expectations. I don't know that all of those were met in this case, but I mean, they do have a special place in their hearts for Len Cowie. I think they've been there many, many times. They did actually go hiking, by the way. Did you experience? Uh, unfortunately, then they got caught in a uh, monsoon rain, <laughs> which was less than amazing for them. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of hiking, a lot of nature to enjoy there. Got it. So I'm curious, you know, you know, seeing how, you know, the Four Seasons, you know, I have stayed at the Four Seasons, but I would say it's it's a pretty infrequent brand for me in general, just because of, you know, the strong points in Miles Focus. I was just curious if you noticed any particular luxuries or amenities that Four Seasons had compared to, let's say, you know, Conrad or St. Regis or Waldorf Astoria or, you know, Ritz-Carlton or any of the other kind of five-star brands that, you know, we attend to now and again. Were there anything that stood out to you from kind of that luxury amenity perspective? So there was a welcome gift, but I assume that was part of the Travels Work uh, booking. It's going to sound funny, but they did have, I think it was like a full travel size toothpaste and like some other amenities that they had there, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But hear me out. That is the way to this man's heart, full, full size toothpaste. You say that, but you know how hard it is to find like a brand name. <laughs> but the fun part about it though was. My daughter would, because they, they kept it down at her level, right? So like the, the, the bathroom uh -huh. had this kind uh -huh. of island sort of dual sink thing, the sinks with a mirror in the middle um, and one sink on one side, one sink on the other. And essentially the little area where the toothpaste was, was right at her level. She'd pick it up, take it, randomly put it someplace. Every time our <laughs> room was serviced, they replaced yes. that toothpaste. They put additional toothpaste in there. I mean, I expect that, but like the level of frequency was honestly kind of hilarious. They saw that we wear glasses. And so yeah. they, uh, I had left my regular glasses in the room. They put a nice little Four Seasons glasses cleaner underneath the nicely folded uh, glasses. That is attention to detail. Yeah. Yep. They proactively, we had gone to the room at one point and they use an army. I mean, it was like three or four people cleaning our room when we walked in. Ah, not walked in. So that on must them, be part of the secret sauce. It's just they, they, they've got a team. It's a, it's a team effort. Well, they do it quicker that way, I think. And, um, yep. and, and so they do a little bit of coordination. They were like, okay, so is this normally the time you come back? Or, and pretty much after that time, I think we only saw them one more time the entire trip. Like, I don't know if they had somebody kind of, you know, monitoring, you know, to be able to say, hey, you, you know, the Mount Castles are at breakfast and, you know, the cleaning crew swoops in. But I mean, the efficiency and the lack of friction was really incredible, I thought. Well, I mean, that's what they're known for, right? Is there something particular that Jeff didn't get in that was part of his standard that he re relayed to you? Like, was there something that was missing I think, from his experience? I think room service was a little bit challenging. Room service took a, a, uh, a fair bit of time. Um, oh, okay. That would, that could, that could make you a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. I think they waited, they did room service a couple of times. And I think one of the times it was for their son, they were waiting for like, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And then when we did dinner at their place, I think we waited for a good 40 minutes to an hour. You know, it's the small things. You know, come to think of it, the one time I did say at a Four Seasons, I seemed to think how extraordinary the room service was, you know, and I thought the quality of the food and the way that it was presented was, I was happy to pay the money, you know, basically. Where did you stay at the Four Seasons? I was staying for a wedding in San Jose, I think. Ah. They have Four Seasons there. Oh, cool. And I was just thinking, wow, I remember specifically they had some kind of a lavash, which is kind of like a you know flatbread or whatever. And I was like, this is the most delicious lavash I've ever had, you know, which is, you know, not that I go to like, you know, the corner lavash stand everywhere, but, you know. Didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs>
bit tired about the four seasons. We probably should move on, right? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, yeah, that, that, we only spent four nights there, so <laughs> can't spend too much time. So a couple of firsts for me, we flew out on uh, Air Asia, first time flying on Air Asia, first time that we bought a seat, actually second time we bought a seat for our daughter because she did have that seat on, um, I think, Sri uh, not Sri Lankan, on Vistara going to Mumbai uh, a few months back. Pre-ordered food, paid for seats on the longer of the two flights, still was fairly inexpensive. Overall, perfectly fine experience. Not amazing, but not, you know, not the horrific thing that I think, you know, people kind of imply that it can be. And from there, we stayed at the Waldorf Astoria, our first Waldorf, believe it or not, in uh, in Bangkok. Really? This is your first Waldorf Astoria? Yeah, yeah. So oh. we did that Langkawi uh, via Kuala Lumpur up to Bangkok. And the Waldorf Astoria was uh, FHR. We liked the upgraded room so much that we didn't even, um, we, we didn't leave the hotel. We went to, uh, the pool. We had dinner at the, at the property. The breakfast was as you would expect, just simply fantastic. Lots of great, great flavors. The breakfast area was on a high floor. So you had a great view. You had a great hey, service. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with enjoying a great, I mean, you're paid for it, right? So why not enjoy a lovely five-star experience? Yeah. The pool, we ended up ordering some food there because we had the FHR credit. They didn't have Pad Thai on the menu, believe it or not. Uh, but a uh, simple request, they were able to make that happen. So, you know, a lot of a lot of nice things about that Waldorf Astoria Hotel. They even had toddler-sized robes, which I thought was, extra, was particularly oh, that's cute. cute. That's cute. Yep. Did they have uh, any little dolls or animals for your daughter? I don't think so. As I think about oh. it, I don't. Used to be always the brand standard. I thought, well, I'm sorry. That's I'm Conrad. Completely I think that's the Conrad. That's Conrad. That's Conrad. I'm sorry. That, it's in the Hilton family, but I, I got confused for a second. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. The only thing I'd say is the pool's a little small. It's a rooftop pool. We were overlooking the Grand Hyatt Erewhon. Uh, that pool is being renovated right now. I don't know if those spa cottages that are up by that pool are even you know bookable. I don't know that I'd want to be in any of those at the Grand Hyatt. We didn't walk over to the hotel. We could just see it from our hotel. So renovations happen in the Southeast Asia, apparently. Apparently, there's a lot of money getting spent. But yeah, overall, nice experience at the Waldorf. Uh, we will stay at a Waldorf again. Definitely, I think the care and the quality of the service was wonderful. They even escort you. You know, they escort you to the room. A lot of that nice stuff there. So we flew out the next day. Really, we were literally there for 24 hours, a little maybe a couple of hours more, and then we flew Bangkok to Abu Dhabi. Let's see. Trying to think of any notes. So Bangkok, I think you've done some uh, lounge shopping in Bangkok, right? I have. I've been to, I think, that Oman lounge, which is like a priority pass lounge. There's a couple of other, I think, airport run lounges there. I've obviously done some of the Royal Thai, you know, first lounge, which unfortunately I think I don't think is anymore right now. But I've been to the business class lounge there too. Trying to think what other lounges are there that I've been to in Bangkok. Um, so they had a Turkish lounge that I thought was pretty good. And then they had a couple okay. of like generic priority pass lounges. Yes. Yes. So we ended up. There were so-so. I think those the generic priority passes lounge. I mean, better than sitting in the terminal, I'm, I'm guessing. But, you know, don't, don't expect anything super luxurious. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's exactly the experience there, other than that Royal Thai first. You know, the funny thing is I feel like the Priority Pass lounges at Don Wong, the domestic. Did you go to any of those lounges, by the way? The one in the secondary 
airport in, in Bangkok. No, we just landed. We just arrived there and then went through customs and then okay. got to the hotel. It was late. And we were got it. <laughs> after the Air Asia experience, which wasn't bad. It was tiring though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Surprisingly, the Damalong Airport I think has more interesting priority pass lounges than the main. Uh, what's it? I have a hard time pronouncing Savannah the, uh, Wapu? the airport there. Savannah Wapum Airport. So, yeah, that's the one weird thing about Bangkok Airport, Savannah Wapu, I should say, is it's a beautiful airport, but the lounge experience is just not amazing. I mean, Turkish was good. Oman was overcrowded and they didn't really have very good offerings. There were a handful of the others. We literally went one to, you know, lounge to lounge to lounge to lounge. And I think the Air France lounge wasn't bad. They have one of those as well. It's just kind of surprising that Bangkok has all those different lounges there. And most of them offer massages if you're willing to wait in the lounge (laughs) for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, back in the day, that ground service with Royal Thai, you know, where they basically get you on a Pope mobile yep. and drive you through the business class lounge to get you to the first class lounge was fun. I miss that. But I don't, I don't think it's something they're currently doing it now. And that was probably the most memorable experience, you know, at that airport. But you're right. And, you know, part of it, I think, is a lot of, if you think about the volume of passengers that are going through Bangkok, not everybody's a high value, you know, uh, traveler. You know, there's a lot of people who are just doing their, you know, backpacking through Southeast Asia. You know, that's, that's actually a significant amount of the, the, the traffic there. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and Thai, I think, only is flying like one or two routes with first class even. So I think we hammered through the lounges fairly well. Flight to Abu Dhabi, pretty uneventful, you know, standard business class seat, fine enough service. We did, as we talked about, I think on the uh, Festivus episode, we did have an overnight in Abu Dhabi. It was only, I don't know, maybe eight or or it was probably 12 hours or less overnight. And I think we landed at midnight. We were out of the hotel probably around 730 or so, but they did upgrade us. Park Hyatt, Abu Dhabi, uh, Cat 7 Cert. They upgraded us, bottle of wine, wonderful breakfast. The showers there were the thing that jumped out at me, ironically enough. They had like kind of a mist or a multi, the shower kind of came at you from multiple angles and it, it just oh, gotcha. it felt like gotcha. a, a spa-y experience, which I thought was kind of cool. Got it. You had like a hydrotherapy shower. Yeah, that's what it, that's what it is. That, that, that's what it felt like. And then uh, Abu Dhabi lounges, not really, you know, I think we've probably talked about in the past that, that Abu Dhabi is not always the greatest airport to fly to the U.S. from because you've got the pre-clearance. You can't really spend as much time as you'd like in the main lounge. Yeah. Turns out that the lounge on the pre-clearance side actually has alcohol now. And even though they've got pre-packaged foods, they've got a decent enough bar. And the uh, bartender, we were sitting chatting and she was like, yeah, they're saying last call, but you still probably have another five, 10 minutes. And so I was like, okay, you know, this makes the experience just a little bit better. The last time we were just really, really just unimpressed. So, you know, they've made a lot of progress. Of course, they're going to move that to the midfield terminal at some point if they haven't already. Right. 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 Well, you know, I've got to tell you, you know, it's a pretty impressive trip. I think uh, next time you're going to have to shoot for like five luxury brands since you did like St. Regis, Four Seasons, Waldorf, and Park Hyatt in one trip. Uh, no, only you know, I think Hyatt. you're going to have to do... Oh, you're right. I, and a no, Grand Hyatt. I did get the Park Hyatt. Yeah. So the Grand Hyatt, I should have done, uh, what do you think, a Shangri-La instead? Yeah, I should have done uh, maybe a Mandarin Oriental or uh, yeah, a Shangri-La, maybe, maybe a Langham. You know, I'm trying to think what else are in that five-star 
or I want to do an Amand someday. Oh my! And I do an Oberoi again. We really enjoyed the Oberoi uh, Amand Villas in uh, Agra, India, with the Taj. I was been watching some YouTube videos, and I think one of the people in one of our Telegram groups mentioned this guy, this flip flop traveler on YouTube. He does a lot of these Southeast Asia and um, India uh, five star resort trip reviews. He did an Oberoi, and I think he did like a Taj in Jaipur. And some of these Indian five-star resorts are just really over the top. You know, I, I definitely do want to do one of those one of these days in my life. Yeah. When we go back to Mumbai, I think we might try the Taj there. I mean, obviously that one has a little bit of a stain because of the attack there, but it still looks like a gorgeous hotel. Yeah. They're just some amazing uh, Taj, Oberoi, you know, some of those Indian brands, the luxury brands that they have. I mean, they, they've made a name for themselves for a reason. And I think, you know, obviously they're setting the, the standard of the benchmark very high in their native country. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's the show. Sounds like that's an episode, right? It does sound like that's an episode. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you enjoyed listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Milenomics Patreon member and get access to even more in-depth miles, points, and travel content. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. 